1 Corinthians 10, we'll begin in verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, quote, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Quote, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you can be seated. So we've been talking about eating meat for quite a while now. Um, if you remember back all the way in chapter 8 is really where this discussion began. Uh, chapter 8 verse 1 says, Now concerning food offered to idols, that's where this whole discussion began. It's been going on for three chapters. Paul concludes that this morning. Um, and so we will conclude uh, the discussion on on meat. And this really is an issue that... that we, we need to understand because there are gospel implications for what we eat, what we drink, how we conduct ourselves in life. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I was working for a place and our company threw like a pizza party for our customers. And uh, one of the one of the customers came in and she brought her 10 year old son. And I didn't realize that at the time I, I learned later that she's Jewish. But uh, the son asked if he could have a pepperoni pizza. And she said, no, because that will make us sick. And what she was doing was actually just trying to live out her her Jewish theology uh, over a pizza. And it does have implications. It does have implications of how we live um, and specifically how we eat and drink. Um, this this issue is is a huge deal. We, we joke, I think, a little bit. I joke about being in the New Covenant gives us bacon, and that's amazing. Um, praise Jesus for bacon. Uh, that's a little bit of a joke for us because not many of us have come out of a background where what, what we worship prior to Jesus actually had much implications on, on what we ate. But it does have an implication on what we eat and uh, this is good. This is this is part of the redemption that we have in Christ, that we've been set free from the food laws, the restrictions, and uh, we can worship God through eating a variety of foods. Um, and, and what we see here is that really every aspect of our life is lived to the glory of God. There's there's really no corner of our lives where where we will escape from potential worship or potential idolatry with the Lord. And we see that really in, in chapter 10, verse 31. This is probably a verse that most of you guys know. I've memorized. It's a great verse. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 
That's just encompassing everything. And I love what John MacArthur says about that. The eating and drinking are really the most mundane tasks you could possibly imagine. I mean, they are just the basic tasks of all of life, the, the most rudimentary things. But even those things can either bring glory to God, bring honor and fame to the Lord Jesus, or it can detract from him. So all the way down to what we eat, what we drink, everything that we do can bring glory to God. And just to be a little bit silly, what about bagels and cream cheese? Can bagels and cream cheese bring glory to God, or can they detract from glory to God? Well, it has the potential to do both, even on something as as simple as that. Maybe you're not thankful to God for your bagels and cream cheese. Maybe you're thankless. It sounds a little silly, but really the question is, every time we sit down at a meal, are we thankful to the Lord for what he has provided to us to eat and to drink or even to not eat and to not drink? Some of you guys have food allergies or food restrictions, that kind of thing. Are you thankful to the Lord that he still provides you in spite of that, provides for you in spite of all of that? It goes even further, and we'll, we'll get into this this morning, but what about where you buy your bagels and cream cheese? Can that bring glory to God or detract glory from God? Because that's kind of the issue at hand here. Not so much what you're eating, but where you got it from. That's really what's going on. What, you know, do you buy, do you buy your stuff from the grocery store or do you buy it from the guy down at the farmer's market? What if it turns out the guy down at the farmer's market is a, a pagan idol worshiper? What if he offered those things to his false god just that morning, right before you purchased them. What then? What if you found out that? Is buying your bagels and cream cheese from the guy at the farmer's market, is that actually participating in his idol worship? Is he probably going to go get, uh, he's going to take his money and he's going to go tithe to that? Or maybe if it was meat, he may have already sacrificed that meat at the altar. So if you're buying it at the meat market, are you participating in that idolatry? Are you aiding that idolatry? They go, okay, well, I'm not going to go buy anything in the meat market. I'm going to go down to the grocery store. Well, how much do you know about the people at the grocery store? The guy who's stocking shelves. Maybe he goes to the same pagan temple that the guy at the meat market goes to. And so if you're buying your bagels and cream cheese from the grocery store, and the grocery store is employing this guy, and this guy's tithing to his pagan meat market or his pagan temple, are you somehow tacitly helping him in his pagan idolatry? And you see where this is going. This is really the issue here, is that everywhere in every society, there is a potential for things to be intertwined with idolatry and with those things that don't please the Lord. And so do we boycott the farmer's market? Do we boycott our local grocery store? Well, where are you going to get your food? Where are you going to get your stuff? At some point, you guys, this becomes so intertwined, we need to understand as Christians, how do we understand that? And this kind of also gets into the discussion of, of boycotting. Right? Do we not go to certain places? Do we boycott Disneyland like the Southern Baptist Convention did 25 years ago? Because they were offering benefits to those in homosexual relationships. Do we need to burn all our Disney DVDs? Can you watch Frozen with your family? Can you do those things? Or are you partaking in those? Can you watch Captain America? Can you watch ABC Network? Because it too is owned by Disney. Pretty much everything is owned by Disney. Don't know if you know that. Can you wear a Star Wars t-shirt? It's all intertwined. What do we do as Christians? How do we understand that? 
Do we boycott Home Depot from promoting gay Olympic athletes? I mean, I just need a couple of two-by-fours for a project. That's all I need. But they support it. Well, do we go down to the other hardware store that maybe doesn't advertise it, but does the same thing anyway? You understand, this is, this is complicated. How involved in the world are we? How do we understand our place? And so there are principles that we're going to look at here that affect our day-to-day lives. And Jesus does care about our day-to-day lives. He cares about the smallest decisions that we make. He really does, down to all the way what we eat and drink. And I just want you to understand, this is, Jesus doesn't want to live our, us to live our lives as though we're walking through a minefield. You know, just like waiting for something to explode. And oops, you know, that, that, that's not the point. The point is just that we need to be aware of our entanglement in the world and how we understand the world. And he wants us to understand that every decision we make and every action we do can bring glory to God or it can detract from the glory of God. So I want you to have two big takeaways this morning from this passage. Number one is that ignorance can be bliss in the Christian life. Ignorance can be bliss in the Christian life. We'll see that straight from the text. The second thing is that if you know something is intrinsically wrong, you have to act in accordance with that. Okay? Ignorance can be bliss, but if you know something is wrong, you have to act accordingly. All right, so let's get to it. So the issue here has been, has been what do we eat? Can we go down to the pagan temple and have a meal down there? Well, we saw um, last couple of weeks the answer to that is no, because that's actually taking part in idolatry. There's no true God down there at the pagan temple, but there are demons down there at the pagan temple, and we can't eat down there because that would be like fellowshipping with demons. So we can't do that. Can't go there. But what happens if we go and we grab a steak from the meat market and bring it home? Can we... Do that. And so we see that Paul has shifted a little bit here. And we notice that in verse 23 and 24 because he repeats this mantra that the Corinthians had mentioned before. All things are lawful. I got Christian liberty. I can do whatever I want. Remember, they had, he had addressed that back in chapter six when the Corinthians were like, see, in my Christian liberty, I can go visit prostitutes. And Paul's like, no, you can't. Not everything is lawful. Sin isn't lawful. Can't go that far. So now he's switching it up again, and now the question is, is it okay to eat meat from the meat market? And that's where we're at here. And so so we have to understand a few things we've mentioned before. But when someone becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are set free. We're set free from our sin, but we're also set free from the law. We don't have to follow the, the old covenant law anymore. So we have this tremendous amount of freedom, but that freedom does not allow us to sin. It doesn't mean that it's fair game for anything. There are some limits to that. And even though we have freedom concerning food, it doesn't mean that we can always absolutely eat whatever we want. Paul says there are some other principles that we need to keep in mind. So the the the, the objection, well, all things are lawful. I can eat whatever I want. He goes, well, there's a correlation to that. But not all things are helpful. Depending upon what's sitting in front of you to eat, it might not be helpful to eat that. All things are lawful, though. But not all things build up. Not all things actually encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord, even what we eat. 
So if you've got a, a Jewish friend who just recently came to faith in Jesus, maybe they've only been in the faith a couple of months and they understand on paper that all foods are clean, yet for the last 40 years of their life, they've only eaten kosher, to, to bring them over for baby back ribs might be a step too far. That might cause them to stumble. It just might. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with, with smoking, that sort of thing. We can cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. And this is kind of the radical thing about the gospel is, is it's not just about me and my freedoms. We are free to do a lot of things. We are free to eat a lot of things. But that's not the absolute good. Does it build up the people around me? Does it encourage the people around me? We start becoming others-focused. See, our natural inclination is always to assert our rights. I can do this. I can do that. You can't impede my freedom at all. I'm free in Jesus, and so I can do all of these things. And then we come to Christ, who shows us a different way. We have Christ, who has every right to do everything, sitting on the throne of glory, and what's he do with that right? He gives up that right. And he's born in a cave, and he sleeps in a feeding trough, and he dies a miserable death to set other people free. And he shows us the way. He says, look, you do have rights, but you can just as easily give up those rights for the good of other people to build them up, to be helpful. See, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't do. He did all the heavy lifting. He's just asking us to follow in his footsteps to do what he did. So now our first impulse should should be, well, how do I enjoy my liberties while at the same time building up my brother? Those are the two things that we're putting together. I am free to do a lot of things, but I don't have to do them. What I do need to do is love my brother. That's the principle of verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That is now our focus. How do we build up the body of Christ? How would we build up the family of Christ? God assumes that we're always going to be on the lookout for number one. He just assumes that we're after our own good. I mean, the the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor how? As yourself. We already have self-love, you guys. The radical thing about the gospel is when we actually love our neighbor just like we would love ourselves. And that's what he's getting at here. It's just working that principle out with food and with drink. So how do you do that in regards to a fallen world? So let's talk about our liberties. Remember, the first big takeaway here is that ignorance can be bliss in the Christian life. Verses 25 and 26. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And so we see that Paul now has shifted from talking about food being eaten in the temple to food that we would purchase in the meat market and bring home. And so there were food markets in ancient times, just like there are food markets now. You'd go down to the the local food market, there'd be tables everywhere. Oftentimes it'd be right outside the temple, so you knew that maybe there was some sort of connection or maybe that was just the gathering, that sort of thing. And just like most farmer's markets now, you you probably don't know all that much about the person who's selling you the food. You you don't. I mean, they just got to have a table. And unless you develop some sort of relationship, you you really don't know. You don't know where they're from. You don't know how they raised the food. You don't know how they slaughtered the food. 
I mean, for all you know, they, they could be a believer in the Lord Jesus and they, they just worship at the, the church across town and you, you don't know it. They could be a slave whose master sent them to, to sell the meat from their farm. Or it could be that they are dedicated worshipers of Artemis and they had just slaughtered that cow at the temple to Artemis that morning and brought the leftovers there. And what you're doing is you're purchasing meat that has been sacrificed on an altar to an idol just hours ago. How do you know? What do you do? Like, like all of these possibilities are there while you just want to pick up a little slice of steak. Paul has an amazing answer to that. He says, don't ask any questions. That's, that's actually what he says. Don't ask any questions. Verse 25, eat whatever, anything that is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. This, you guys, is a revolutionary principle for the people of God. This is, this is completely revolutionary. You can eat absolutely anything in the market. Jesus declared all foods clean. Everything is available to you in the meat market. It's all up for grabs. And it's revolutionary because the Jews, prior to this, were very scrupulous about what they ate. They wanted to know where this thing came from, who this guy was. Was he a, a Yahweh worshiper? Was he a Baal worshiper, Moloch worshiper? Where did the grass grow that the cows grazed on? Was it in a Gentile's farm? Because that would be no-no, because that would be crossing. Who, who was this person? How did they slaughter it? Where did they slaughter it? Was it kosher? How much blood was let out? I mean, they wanted to know the whole supply chain process. And along Paul comes and he says, yeah, just don't ask. That solves the problem. That's pretty revolutionary. That's pretty revolutionary. I mean, just, just think again. Like, if you go to a farmer's market, do you really know where that comes from? I mean, if you go to Costco and buy one of those three-pound tubes of meat, of hamburger, where does that come from? I mean, besides, you know, the distributor. Like, what? where is that beef cut up? Who cut that beef up? What country was it even cut in? Do you know that? We don't know. Could be Venezuela for all we know. We have no idea where that meat comes from. Who cut it up? What does that person worship? We we have no idea. And we eat those hamburgers in blissful ignorance. Because we don't know. And we don't need to know, is what Paul says. All we know is we can pick up a tube of meat and barbecue it. I mean, religious objections aside, I think we'd probably stop eating a lot of our food if we know exactly where it came from. Don't look it up. You don't want to know where your chicken comes from. All right? But we don't know anything about the supply chain process, and that's okay. We don't need to know every aspect. We don't need to know the religious convictions or lack thereof of those who who cut up the chicken. Paul just says, look, just pay your money and walk away. Eat whatever you want. There's a sense in which ignorance is bliss. We don't need to know all that stuff. Because here's the reality, you guys. If you look hard enough, and I'm just going to call it the supply chain because that's what it is. If you look hard enough at the supply chain, you will find something objectionable in there. You will. Something objectionable about the store that it's sold in or the people that work in the store or the truck driver who drove the meat to the store or the company that employs that truck driver or wherever the processing plant was, wherever the cow was raised. You will find something objectionable, something sinful somewhere along in the supply chain. I mean, we all have cell phones in our pocket. 
right? That, that implements, the little parts, the, the materials. There, there was probably slavery involved somewhere. There was probably child labor involved somewhere. I don't know where, and we still use the cell phones, but you look at any supply chain, you're going to find issues anywhere in there. Paul says, stay ignorant. You dig into Walmart, Costco, any of those. Several years ago, uh, there's a friend of mine, he had an app, I think it was called Boycott or something like that, and I'm sipping a Diet Dr. Pepper. And he's like, here, let me scan the barcode. And so he scans the barcode, and he's like, do you realize that this company is owned by this company, and they support this and this? And this? I'm like, it's a hot day, and I just want a cold beverage. Like, that's all I want. Like, I don't care that they give money to someone. I just, I just want delicious Diet Dr. Pepper. Like, that's all I want. We could do that with every product, with every store. And you know what we would be left with? Water. That we ourselves went and got down from the river. Like, that's all we would be left with. Because there's some compromise somewhere along the way. There just is. And so we have to have this blissful ignorance. And by the way, here's why this ignorance is okay. It really is okay. It's not irresponsible. It's not ungodly. It's ignorance... But look at verse 26. This is the reason why we can do that. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why can we be ignorant? Because God owns it all anyway. That's the bottom line. He made it, he owns it, and he'll give it to us. It doesn't matter what happened to it in the meantime. We don't need to know all of that. We can just enjoy it. You can enjoy Dr. Pepper. You can enjoy your tri-tip from the local meat market. You can enjoy all of that. Unless the thing that we're purchasing is intrinsically evil, it's probably okay to purchase. And this was the dilemma with the Corinthians, you guys. It's the same dilemma that we have. With the Corinthians, everything was tied into pagan idolatry. I mentioned this about a month ago. I I mean, it just didn't matter where you went. Everything was tied into a a false god somewhere. And so if they start asking questions, they're not going to be able to eat anything or buy anything. And again, the same thing is true with us. And I feel like I need to say this. I'm not necessarily against boycotting things. I think sometimes there are good things to boycott. We'll see in a minute that we do need to abstain from some things. But the problem with boycotts is usually that they're ineffective. Rarely does the person who's getting boycotted know why we're boycotting. And rarely is it for a religious conviction. Most oftentimes it's for a political reason. And it gets nothing accomplished. It doesn't. The, the Disneyland boycott that I mentioned, the SBC folded after seven years. And they're like, yeah, see, we made some changes. They made no changes. Disney knew about their boycott, and they did nothing. In fact, they doubled down. But now all the SBC people can go to Disneyland. It did nothing. So you have to be very careful why we do what we do. So the main principle here is that it's okay to live in ignorance sometimes. Look at verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So now it's a different situation, but same kind of idea. So you can go to the meat market and you can buy whatever without asking questions. You can also go to your neighbor's house. And whatever they set before you, you can have without raising any question on the ground of conscience. It's the same language, same idea. So this is sort of like the don't ask, don't tell food version is the idea. 
But here's the problem. What if you learn something about that meal? What if you learn some information? And this, this brings us to the second point. Once you know something is wrong, then you have to act accordingly. You have to act accordingly. You can't just pretend that you don't know it. You have to act accordingly. And that's the scenario that plays out in verse 28. Uh, it's a little bit of a difficult scenario. I think it's, it's a little bit of a fictitious scenario. I think he's just trying to give us some principles, but, but let's read. So we'll start in verse 27. And he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, maybe you've got a pagan friend and they invite you over for a meal and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, the idea is pagan idolatrous sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So again, it's been said that you can't unknow something. Once you know, then you have to act. So all of a sudden, you're sitting at the table, you're about to dive into this juicy tri-tip, and it looks amazing, and somebody's like, you know, they sacrificed that to Zeus. Oh, well, that kind of changes the game. It doesn't change the fact that it had always been sacrificed to Zeus. That was true. But now you know it has been. And now you have another ethical dilemma. To eat this knowing that it's been sacrificed to Zeus or whoever, some other idol, some other god, now makes you complicit. And now you've got a problem. And, and there's, there's a couple of different ways to understand what's going on here. Um, there, it could be the scenario where we... we and the reason there's a couple of different ways is we don't know exactly who told the Christian that this was offered in sacrifice. That's the hard part. Was it, was it the pagan, was it the unbeliever who had invited you over? Did he tell you? Or, or is it maybe a buddy that came along with you who's a weaker Christian and maybe he saw the pagan sacrifice earlier that day? We don't know for 100%. Um, but it seems like whatever it is, you're sitting at this table that you find out now that the meat is, is offered in sacrifice. You've got your, your host who's graciously invited you over and you've got a weaker brother right there next to you. And what do you do? If you eat, this guy's going to be offended. If you don't eat, that guy's going to be offended. It's going to be awkward all around, no matter what you do, right? And that's where we go back to the principles. I can't cause my brother to stumble. I just can't. I was brought into this family of God. And so what I'm going to do is even though my friend was gracious enough to invite me in, now that I know that it's been offered in sacrifice, I have to refuse. I have to say no thank you. I can't knowingly take part in something that has been offered in sacrifice and offend my brother, my Christian brother over here. Yeah, there are no gods, and yeah, we're not at the temple, and yeah, we're probably not communing with demons, but this would offend his conscience. And so I'm going to be sensitive to his conscience. I could probably eat it because I know there's nothing there. And I know we're not at the temple, so there's not a worship aspect going on. But I can't stumble my brother. I can't do that. And that's what he gets at. Verse 28. But if someone says to you, and again, we don't know who the someone is. We don't know how this information was un unveiled. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you 
and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. And that's why I think there's probably at least three people in this scenario. There's the mature Christian, the weak Christian, and then the unbelieving host. Is It seems like, like we're, we're trying not to offend everybody as much as we can, but we're stuck. Also, if this unbeliever knows that I'm a Christian and knows that I only worship the one true and living God, and he knows that the thing that's sitting in my table was, was sacrificed to an idol, and I partake of it, then maybe he's going, oh, well, he's okay eating stuff offered to idols. Maybe he's okay with idolatry. Well, I can't give him that impression, right? It's a really hard situation, and you're in this guy's house, and you're offending him. I mean, can you imagine inviting someone over like, hey, I got spaghetti for you, and they're like, I can't do that, Right? It's uncomfortable, but what's at stake here? The gospel message. The gospel's at stake. Worship is at stake. Glory due to God is at stake, and my brother's conscience is at stake. God calls us to do the hard and awkward thing of saying, I'm so sorry, thank you for inviting us. I can't eat the steak because now I know that it was offered. I, I, I can't do that, not in good conscience. These are the stakes. This is what's at hand. So once we learn the pagan nature of the product, we can't consume it. Our knowledge keeps us from acting. I mean, just take a different issue. If you knew for 100% that the shoes you're wearing were made in a sweatshop in India that uses slave child labor, and every time you go and buy these shoes, you're just feeding slave child labor, would you buy those shoes anymore? You couldn't. You couldn't do that. Forget India. What if it was just down the road? You couldn't do that. Same kind of thing. Once you know something, then you are complicit. Then you have to act one way or another. If you didn't know, then it's ignorance. It's bliss. But now that you know, you have to act accordingly. We also need to remember that the world is watching us. One of the reasons that Paul gives here that we don't eat is is that the host knows, right? So the host knew that it was sacrifice to an idol but now we know and the host knows we know and we know the host knows we know right you with me everybody knows and if i were to eat everyone would know that it's okay to take part in that idolatry can't do that when there was ignorance okay but now that i know i have to act the world is watching us we also need to understand that other believers are watching us people for whom Jesus has died, and we need to watch out for them. Verses 28 and 29 again. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, that's probably the unbelieving host, and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So we would also not eat because of our weaker brother's conscience. We don't want to offend him. We've got a lot of liberty in Christ, but our liberty, our own freedoms are not the end goal. The end goal is to bring people to faith in Jesus and to mature them in Jesus. That's our end goal. And we will give up any liberty that we have to in order to see that goal out. Here's the other thing that we see here. We can partake in a lot of things and we can partake in them without fear. Look at verses 29 and 30. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience or judged by someone else's conscience? 
if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now, I don't know if you caught this, but this is kind of a weird turn here. Because on the one hand, you're, you're going, well, I'm not going to eat because I don't want to offend him. And then on the other hand, Paul seems to turn around and say, well, yeah, but his conscience doesn't determine what I do. I'm like, well, didn't you just say it did determine what I do? Do you see that? There's a little bit of a tension there. Well, I think sort of implied in all of this is, is this guy right here with me? If he's right here with me, then I don't do stuff to make him stumble. If it's just me and I'm around other people that won't stumble by it, then game on. So let me just give you a, a hot topic over the last 150 years is alcohol, right? So there's basically three types of Christians when it comes to alcohol. There's Christians who drink alcohol. We don't get drunk, but we drink alcohol. Okay. There's also Christians who go, I'm not going to drink alcohol, but I'm okay if you do. Then there's also folks who would say, you know what? I don't drink alcohol, and I don't even like being around alcohol. It offends me. It's really hard. Maybe they came out of that background, whatever. Right? So you got three kind of groups. Right? So as a Christian who has liberty, you can, you could, you could drink alcohol. That's not a sin. You don't get drunk. Right? But, but that third person, maybe you just don't drink around them. But just because they are grieved by that, or their conscience is, 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 has difficulty with that, doesn't mean you can't ever drink alcohol, period. So you have some liberty there. So your life is not ruled by their life or their conscience, but if they're in your presence, you're going to do what you can to help them and to encourage them. Does that make sense? So these are principles that we all put together here. Paul says in verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So if you're sitting at a table and you're eating food and you can give thanks to that, for that, to God, for that food, why should anybody condemn you for that? That's okay. That's a principle. Anything that's set before us. With all those considerations in mind, we come to really the climax of the passage, which is the first 31 through chapter 11, verse 1, that we should do all things to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Try threading that needle. Right? That, that little table scenario, like that's trying to thread that needle, isn't it? You don't want to offend the pagan unbeliever who's gracious enough to invite you over and place meat in front of you. You don't want to offend your buddy right here. You're trying to live out your conscience all the while giving thanks to God for food. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes living out the gospel is very difficult. But listen, if you can give thanks to God for it, you can partake of it. You can eat it. I mean, do you imagine, just, just think about this. God could have just given us oatmeal, plain oatmeal, and that's all we could eat, right? We could be like goats or like cows. All we eat is grass. But he gave us meat and he gave us vegetables and fruits and spices and all these different things, all these really good things. And you know what should well up in us? Praise. Thank you, God, for providing Thank you, God, for giving, in a, giving us an abundance. You know, we think back to the Garden of Eden, you know, all these different plants and different things. Do you realize every time we go into yokes, it's like the Garden of Eden? 
Like the amount of variety that we have at our fingertips when there's stuff on the shelves. The amount of variety that we have on our, at our fingertips is just amazing. And we can give thanks to God for it. And really the only time we need to consider not eating those things is, is if someone might be offended by that. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is what Paul calls us to go and do. So go eat and drink and give glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ to eat and to drink, to rejoice in the, the, the bounty that you have given to us. So we praise you for that, Lord. May we never cause our brothers to stumble. May we be conscious and, and helpful as we eat and drink to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.